Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Gary, uh, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. We we should start off where, where we left off on stage. I mean, yeah. how was your trip to the West Coast and, and in particular my local town of Incline Village in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, it's a fantastic trip. I mean, it's um, it was a uh, it's a fantastic setting and location. It was it was great to just see some of the scenery, which which often adds to these things. And the Carbonex experience was was fantastic. I know it was the inaugural um, event, um, very well organised and run, and kind of you guys did a great job of making us feel at home for that that oh, weekend, <laughs> um, which was superb. Obviously, some extremely exciting developments upcoming with with carbon that that I think we're very much looking forward to embracing and embedding within the business. You helped us out so much, and 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 I'm forever grateful of of the effort that you personally and and your staff put in to assist with the launch of of practice intelligence. And uh, it's yeah, I, I can never thank you enough for that. But um, you know, it, it's it's. It's customers like yourself and FLB that just that make all that effort worthwhile. I thought the, you know, one of the special things for me was, you know, seeing the love that customers share in the room and, and the conversations that were going on between yourselves and, um, you know, over dinner and, and, and during the breaks and, and even out on the early morning runs. <laughs> no, definitely. I think it was... Um, one of my experiences of it is, is almost immediately walking off stage and just being accosted by a huge number <laughs> of people wanting to, to know more. And, yeah. and I think that's it's fantastic because you can see the industry really starting to understand the power of obtaining that data mm. and how they can start to use that data. So it was with some really, really interesting conversations with um, some very forward-thinking individuals. Yeah, it... <laughs> I feel like, you know, I've always sort of felt like we're being too early is wrong, of course, but, um, you know, we, we are quite up the progressive curve. You know, the carbon customers are, are um, you know, <laughs> well well along um, and certainly nowhere near the, the laggards, let alone <laughs> the middle of the curve. But, but I feel like, you know, over the last, you know, as we move into post-COVID, that there are, that the industry is, progressing that the particularly in the UK the 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 more traditional mid-tiers are, are getting a bit of a rocket under them and and seeing people like yourselves you know do so well and and you know use technology as a as a value proposition right like you know this is a totally new concept to thousands of firms across the UK in particular no definitely I think you know my, my take on it is that those mid-tiers and upper-tier firms, they're just slower to embrace change for all the right reasons sure, in terms yeah. of the, the process, the, everything that they need to go through. And, and if you look at those firms that are slightly smaller, more agile, they're able to embrace this change and move with it very quickly. And that gives us the benefit of actually almost outshining some of those larger firms um, while they put in place the process and, and diligence steps they need to in order to embrace. But but they're definitely, you know, on the same on the same page, moving in, in the same direction. 
Um, and I think in the, the UK, the, the other part that we're starting to see is the more traditional practices are mm. starting to fall away. It's a generational thing where, it is, yeah. you know, as the generations that still want the paper file in front of them <laughs> start to, to retire from the industry, the younger generations that in those firms have been pushing for a while are actually starting to implement change. And I'm sure you guys are experiencing that with the, the firms in the UK you're starting to work with and, and touch base with. Yeah, I mean selfishly you know the competitive landscape has thinned out over the last 12 months right like i think um would always prefer you know a, a uh, an environment of innovation and you know people doing new and interesting things but it's hard right like and, and these companies that are sort of come in as over the last couple of years and then sort of sold off for, for whatever reason it helps us but you know like trying to be nice, but, you know, like the, the, the traditional vendors, the irises and the sages, are under pressure because that they've been slow to innovate, that they've they've sort of been able to, and, and this happens in the US with Association Thompson's, as we saw it with MYB in Australia, these companies lose their culture of software development, right? Like it's it just it's the way life goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so evident because you look at the, you know, all of those major software platforms and they're still desktop. Mm. You know, yes, they they use the right language in terms of promising us that the cloud is coming. Five years, three to five years would be my guess in yeah. terms of when it's available. And that really holds back an in industry because you want to be a more agile firm to give this full flexibility, but you're still having to rely on legacy systems. I mean, crikey, I remember it wasn't that long ago that Iris had moved from a B-Treve database to a SQL database <laughs> and, and at a time when everything else was running on SQL. Um, but, and I think you're, you're right, they lose an element of their innovation, but that's the norm. You know, they yeah. have to move yeah. to buying in the innovation yeah. rather than having it internally. But I think some of those, I mean, the big disruptor is obviously zero. It's, it's changed yeah. the landscape. Sage now, in my mind, are making some really good headway on, on trying different things and moving into different areas, certainly with uh, the Go proposal. Yeah. Um, move, kind of a, a very sensible one and, and a fantastic product that, that lots of firms take advantage of. And, you, you know, Carbon obviously appreciate that as well. I haven't spoken to James in a little while. Uh, somebody like him going into a company like Sage, he'll <laughs> have some moments. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I've only met James a couple of times, but, um, you know, very um, interesting guy. You know, he's got some fantastic opinions that I think a lot of the industry are aligned with and, and does a, a fantastic job. So I'm sure he'll be making making some headway. <laughs> he'll perhaps help you steer a ship. Exactly. He'll... Um, Certainly, have some interesting meetings, I'm sure. But um, and and FLB, since you got back, the wheels are still on. They, they didn't fall off while you're on the other side of the world. No, no, not at all. I mean, we're we're, we're very fortunate. We've just got such a superb team in the business. Kind of the the management team in the business do a fantastic job of, of running the day to day, which you know allows me to play around with things like practice <laughs> intelligence which is great um so no they they very much kept the wheels turning um yeah and it's just kind of continued growth i mean it's an interesting one in in the uk which i'm, I'm sure may be the the same elsewhere there's just this huge waterfall effect at the moment where you know the bigger firms are everyone is struggling for talent 
yeah, so, so yeah, what that yeah. means, and, and the bigger firms have, appear to have taken this approach of, well, we're just going to double our fees or, or significantly increase the fees. And what that means is some of their smaller clients filter down and, and everyone has to make the same decisions. So we're having a lot of conversations with a larger client base, um, which is fantastic. And there's also a huge amount we're, we're doing around helping businesses understand the information that they're getting yeah. and, and how to better present that. I mean, the, the dashboarding that we saw at, at CarbonX, you know, we've been doing that for our clients for a while mm. just to start to aggregate some of their data so that they can see things in a more kind of succinct presentation, what's, what's important to them. Yeah, like the, the, that's the beauty of a good account business, being able to tell a compelling story with numbers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. And, and there's this, this concept which I'm fully aligned with of, of a trusted advisor. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it's the same for firms around the world. You, you work with a client for long enough and you get the phone call about, I'm, I'm getting divorced, you know, and all of a sudden <laughs> you find yourself trying to help with that. You know, I want a new car. It, it kind of... It, you, sometimes the same the same day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Often from the same person. That's right, you know? yes. Yeah, the, the, two, the two incidents can be related. Sometimes the car before the divorce, depending on... Exactly, you know, exactly. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the number of zeros in the car. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the stack then. Do, do you use like a, a Futurely or any of those to, to present those compelling numbers to a client base or you, you put all that together yourself? Um, no, we, we do use um, some of the platforms. Yeah. We're, we're using um, Fathom's platform we yep. use. We use uh, a little bit of Spotlight Reporting. Yep. Um, all the all the Antipodeans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we do have some clients where actually we've created almost some bespoke reporting. Yeah. Them. And, and you know, every accountant in the room will, will always know how to use Excel. Yeah, it's, it's the go-to. It's just the go-to because you, you know how to present it differently. Um, yeah, I think it's some of the products like the Fru- Fru- uh, mm. Futurely and, and, and Fathom, they're, they're fantastic tools. It just takes us time to get a team up to speed with how to use them yeah. to then be able to empower. Yeah, yeah. And knowing enough about, you know, stuff like that, the, the benefit of having a client base in a consistent vertical, like, you know, if, if you've got 300 veterinarians that you're servicing, you know, putting together report packs for that client base, you know, you, you, that's where your margins come from, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's it's that that almost niche marketing to say, well, we want to focus on a particular sector. The KPIs are the same for for every one of those veterinarian practices. That's it. It, it just it makes, as you say, the, the margins, but also the onboarding of the client yeah. quite straightforward because you've got a defined process. You know yeah. exactly what you're doing, and, and you haven't got a pivot to yeah, so uh, embrace the the, the wheels not being reinvented every every time a new client comes on board. So um, I know you guys have been growing like amazing. How many staff now, offices, and, and what are you doing sort of office versus work at home and all that kind of thing? So we're now up to like 110 at the last count in terms of well, the size yeah. of the team. We're still growing, so we've got plans to, to increase that by in the region of a further 20% this year. Office-wise, we've got office in Reading, one in Soho, and then we've got an office in Epsom as well, so three offices. In terms of the forward-looking plan, um, at the moment we're operating a 3-2 scenario where three days in the office, two days from home, and, and we've, been, we've been quite 
firm with that. Right. And and the reason is the development of the junior team. Yeah. You know, you you can take a, a seasoned kind of pro and sit them at home five days a week and say, you crack on, no problem. Yeah. The challenge is the trainees coming through. They need that interaction. They need to see what's happening in a business. And ultimately, you, you get in this situation where, okay, well, you need your trainees in the office to be taught. Well, you need your seasoned pros in the office to teach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So hence, it's it's kind of a, a line we think will... Os- osmosis. Learning by osmosis is fucking difficult over Zoom, isn't it? <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. And it's that, you know, it's, it's silly things like, like the feedback. If you're face-to-face sat next to someone, you can give immediate feedback and say, no, 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 just, just like that. Whereas I think if you're trying to do things remotely, what typically happens is, you know, I see myself just going, oh, I know how to fix it. I'll just fix it. Yeah. And the individual doesn't get the feedback to say, oh, no, change it like this. This is what... It wasn't a learning experience that they could have had. Precisely. We also found not, not you know, it wasn't a disaster or anything, but two years into the pandemic, even internally, you know, relationships, you know, people had never met. Yeah. You know, you got managers and, and, you know, different dynamics for us all over the world. And... I kind of felt like it got to the point where if you wanted to, you know, you could hide behind Zoom and email, you know, internally, you know, like tough conversations over Zoom are not the same as a tough conversation face-to-face, right? Like you, you, you don't get to know the person. You don't, need, you don't get to have the water cooler. That's very true. Those water cooler moments, we, we often refer to them in the office because actually they're where the good ideas come from. They're where the, you get that touching, the check-in point with your team to say, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Or no, actually, you know, this is, I've got a problem here. Can you help? Well, even, you know, like over Zoom, you, you might not know if people are cute. Like, not that, you know, in the workplace these days, you, you, can, you can even ask. But you know what I mean? Like somebody might have had the, you know, the worst weekend in history and, and you turn up at 9 a.m. on Zoom and, it's not like that you just saw them at the coffee shop downstairs. Like, oh, fuck, Gary, you know, I fell off my bike and, <laughs> what, yeah, exactly. you know, my kid was in off, broke it, you know, whatever, right? Like, I, I think that's fair. I th- but, but then conversely, you look at some of the positives and for myself, I probably get hours back every single week because your client base is now happy to say, do you know what? Let's not bother meeting. Let's just jump on a Teams call quick. Yeah. Whereas yeah. before, you've got you know an hour to get there, sit oh, down spe- for an hour, an hour <laughs> especially in like in the UK. <laughs> yeah, and, and you look at it, and actually, that's a that's a huge yeah time saver across the business because, and and I think actually it works because you get straight to the point, yeah. and, and everyone's happy with that. Yeah, we're experiencing a very similar thing, particularly in um, uh, Sydney, where most of our R and D. Uh, gets done. We've we've now got R and D in in Toronto. You've been and uh, Halifax of all places. You've been working with Sadat and his team. Yeah. You know, there, there's now I think six people in total on practice intelligence. So there wow. you go. You, staff are six for you, Gary. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, but you know, we we hired you know ninety people in the first six months, or maybe more hundred odd people in the first six months of the year, and. We're very clear about, you know, this is not a fully remote role. You, you need to be in the office at least three days a week, 
to onboard. And John was really adamant about hiring people in Sydney. You know, like we're not a we're not a fully remote company. We're a, a company with offices, and it's just the way that you know we're built, and it's the way the the type of company we want to we want to run. I mean, we we see in particularly the tech industries like the more liberal companies, you know, saying fuck hybrid, <laughs> like we're we're just going fully remote. And then you see the Elons of the world go, okay, you know, you, you can work from home as much as you like, as long as you've already done 40 hours in the in the office this week. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the risk I see is if you try and go fully remote, where's the culture? Yeah. And, and the heartbeat of the business is the culture. Particularly professional services, right? Like, yeah. well, I, I like to think, you know, software as well, but especially accounting. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's... Yeah, I know there's a, I met a couple of people at, at Carbon X who are, are kind of fully remote and mm. absolutely hats off fair play. Yeah, yeah. Their recruitment techniques are clearly better than ours. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, I think that culture is so important because everybody's then pushing in the same direction yeah. and understanding the core values of the business. I think UK geographically is obviously very different to US, you know, like Bruce Phillips, who you would have spent some time with and, you know, he, he was remote when he started with us, you know, when was that, like 10, 12 years ago. So he was, you know, on that train. And I think everybody's got their way and, and remote is certainly a way, uh, you know, a strategy to overcome labour shortages. I think how are you going sort of competing against the, the London-based firms for staff and the like? I think we're, so geographically, we're in what's called the, the Thames Valley Corridor. So traditionally, there's been a big commuter belt that go kind of up the M4 into London to work into London. And there's definitely been an, an uptake in the number of people, number of CVs coming across our desk where previous experience kind of London. Yeah. They're starting to look outside of it. And, and I don't know if that's because there is a slight tide, turning of the tide where employers are saying, right, get yourself back in the office now. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, can't yeah. be fucked well, sitting in a car for two hours, three yeah, hours a day. Or... Exactly. Let me get on a train that's that's overcrowded. and Yeah, yeah, the Wi-Fi doesn't work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think we've been very fortunate with the, the talent that's become available. I think there's also, there's pressure in the industry with the amount of work and the for some, you know, like every, across every sector, it just seems there's a, a talent gap. In yeah, terms of number of, <laughs> in everything. And I think, you know, we've always tried to maintain a culture that, yes, there's some pressure, but there's also some lower pressure time throughout the year. Um, and I think that this, a lot of the CVs we're seeing now are from people where you get the impression that pressure cooker just keeps on going. Yeah. Um, and actually, they're starting to think, well, there's more to life than just working 60, 70 hours a week. In six-minute increments. You are exactly. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the more clever London firms are onto it, right? Like, they're, they're poaching your staff, probably, paying London wages and letting them live, you know, work from home perhaps four days a week and, and yep. office once. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. We, you know, we've lost uh, a couple of people, as every business does, and some of those ideals have, have rung true. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what pans out with uh, the way the economy is looking at the moment and, and how that 
has, whether that has an impact or anything. Then the new Prime Minister, of course, this well, afternoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That could be a uh, head in the hands moment. Depends how that's going to pan. Yeah, it right. can't get can't get much worse. Worse than Aussie in changing this roundabout of of uh, government. But um, yeah, well, you got uh, inflationary pressures not helped by Russian situation with invasion, basically. You know, interest rates going up. Brexit's still sort of filtering through all the economy. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to find some good news <laughs> for everything for the next couple of years, probably. Yeah, I think the good news is that there's a lot still happening in the UK. I mean, we, we have a number of clients that are inward investment clients. So perhaps US or, or other European territories, um, they've latched on to uh, talent or, or kind of IP in the UK and, and kind of acquiring that. Um, and that doesn't seem to have slowed down. I mean, one right. of the things I saw Bre- feared Brexit may have done is steered some of the big US PE firms to think, well, actually, we'll go to, to Amsterdam instead yeah. of London. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem to have happened. I think there's still some really innovative things that are being developed here in London. Um, Particularly, I mean, the fintech sector is, is blowing up. Yeah. You know, it's, it's huge right now. Um, and, and a lot of that is still London. You know, I don't think Brexit, you can't just turn off London being the... The finance capital of, yeah. of, of the West, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm talking way out of my um, pay grade now, but, you know, the UK is a, as, as a risk compared to the rest of Europe, doesn't seem to have diminished through Brexit or anything like that. I mean, I think they're encouraging investment. There's entrepreneurial visas. There's they are trying to induce or entice people to, to come to the UK. Yeah, definitely. And, and one hopes that that will become a little more liberal. Um, in that the, you know they've, they've got a point system. That point system, of course, will tweak and change slightly mm-hmm. over time. Um, but I think we'll we'll hopefully see a loosening of it when you see where the real gaps are. And I, I feel there's a bit of a bumpy road before too much happens um, to identify what are the gaps and, and how can we loosen the, yeah. the red tape of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the government's got to get out of its own way. <laughs> the um, and in terms of FLB, what what are the what's the average client look like? What are the major industries that you're servicing these days? It's an interesting question. I mean, we've we've got, I guess you, you'd argue, three primary strands to the business in terms of divisionally or sectors. So we term one of those as very much our general client. Um, we've tried desperately to come up with a, a name. <laughs> compelling name. We're, we're just accountants. Um, maybe need to speak to some marketers. That's right. Enos is next door. You can grab, grab our marketer for 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that's a, that team service, kind of a whole range of businesses from yeah, I think the smallest clients are kind of part-time hairdressers. Yeah, right. <laughs> through to some some fairly chunky you know, recruitment businesses or, you know, to manufacturing businesses, all sorts of different things, logistics. There's a real kind of mix of, of clients where um, actually you're that. You go to outsourcing, you're providing a wide range of services for them, which works very well. Um, the kind of secondary thing um, for us is, well, not, not in, in terms of scale, but the second division is 
renewable energy and infrastructure. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So we do a, a, an ever-growing amount of work in that sector. We're working with some some rather large kind of institutions with helping the financial process for some of their um, their vehicles. That's it's very very kind of expansive growth. Yeah. Um, and, and some of these things are, are huge in that they buy. 30 companies at once so yeah, it's, right. <laughs> yeah it's, it's challenging to resource because you, you need the people there to for when they're landing yeah very much but but it's um for us it's a huge growth sector that we're focusing on and then i, I guess the the hot topic for us at the moment is the media and entertainment and, and technology space so we're doing a huge amount in um film and television looking after everything from financiers interests in, in film production through to um, actually helping out with the production accounting of of some of these um, productions so ultimately there's a like many things there's a, a real skills shortage um, in the industry and what we're making huge strides towards is, is being able to provide the productions with a variety of options so Here's some talent that will help you get through with your your main team or premise, but but we can help fill some of the gaps. We've got a number of productions we're doing where actually we've gone through the kind of first and second iterations with the producers or the studios, and and they love the remote concept, and actually we're able to offer that professionalisation of a, of the services. Um, and you know we're working with some of the really big studios in terms of we've got deals going on with uh, Apple TV, working cool. with Sky, working with um, Netflix. So it's, there's a big, big growth area for us. What's the investment in film and, and TV and production in the UK like at the moment? Red hot. Right. Red hot. I think there's two things that are driving that. One is the tax incentives here in the UK. Oh, they've cr- um, cranked the incentives. Yeah, the incentives have kind of been there for a while, but they've been cranked. I think that actually... The exchange rates probably help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, my, <laughs> my two weeks got uh, considerably cheaper. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it, it's also, you know, the UK market has got a, a fantastic set of studios. So so the kind of right, okay. the, um, the ability to actually make the productions here in the UK, we've got the kind of pine woods you know, yeah, that yeah. are growing and this huge investment going into building more studios for the film and TV production. And it's all in a very, a relatively compact area, which I think helps. Um, if we look at some of the things we've worked on in, in the US, actually, of course, you've got kind of the central LA areas. There's just big areas in Canada as well. But the UK seems to be a very growing, very quickly growing in that area. Yeah, the, the streaming companies have just got the valuations have come off a bit. The cash has perhaps tightened up a little bit. But I mean... You know the the volume of money that's just gone through the apples, the Netflixes, the Amazons. Yeah, I mean, look at kind of. I think the easiest comparison is probably twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen, there was about just short of eight billion spent on film and TV production in the UK. Right. And actually, the anticipations that's going to grow significantly over the next three to five years, which is why we're we're very much latching onto it and, and looking to grow in that area. Yeah, and I'm sure having interesting clients helps uh, recruitment and retention as well. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, there's one thing to promise someone a career in accountancy, which uh, may not necessarily <laughs> yeah. entice everybody. There's, there's, um, there's 
only a few sexier jobs available, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but but the, I think what we're finding is that the film and TV spin on it actually encourages people to think, well, this is enticing. This yeah, is, this is yeah. exciting. It's, it's kind of, and then technology is the same, right? We have a strong technology team looking after you know, businesses of, of all sorts, whether it be SaaS companies or, or um, your traditional resellers. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because they move. High growth and, and uh, solving interesting problems. I want to go back. You, you mentioned um, like energy companies, and I noticed the acceptance of sort of you know carbon neutra- neutrality and and progress towards um, you know investment in in carbon infrastructure is significant in the UK. I think the reticence is not is nowhere near as high as it is in the US. I mean, you know, there's there's still uh, a lot of denial <laughs> in the US. Um, how are you sort of resourcing that? What what kind of projects you you know customers you work with? What what are kind of the interesting aspects that you see in that area? Typically, what we're doing is we're working with um, private equity firms um, or you know, VCs that that are building out portfolios of solar sites, um, right? Or wind farms, or anaerobic digestion, or hydroelectric. Um, we're actually the play for them is the long tail revenue. You know, it's it's like it's like an investment strategy where they are building. One assumes they are building out a larger portfolio. That ultimately, that portfolio creates a seven to twelve percent return every single year. Yes, the sun shines, the wind blows. You're producing <laughs> energy, um, and and one assumes their concept is to build this out with a view to flipping it to pension schemes or something yeah. of that nature. Somebody will pay for the for the recurring revenue. Exactly. Yeah, that, and the investment in that area in the UK, you've seen the trend go the right direction. Yeah, very much so. It's it's kind of a it's a very hot topic. Um, you know, we're an island. Um, so we, we kind of have to produce uh, as much as we can ourselves. There's some very big projects that have been greenlit by the government in terms of offshore wind farms. And I think the Russia piece has really just highlighted it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the, the requirement to be self-dependent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, look at, look at the other move in terms of by 20, I think it's 2030, you know, they, they'll stop selling uh, petrol or gas-based motor vehicles. You know, it's a full move towards electric, spearheaded by the government. You know, that's a huge change. And that's going to bring with it the demand for electricity rather yeah. than oil out of the ground. Yeah. Um, so you've got to find a way of how do you create enough energy to do that. In a clean way and store it as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, so no, that's you know, some of the stuff we're looking at. We've also got a number of other projects that we're working with um, the founders on that are around carbon offset. So looking at things where uh, you take a traditional process, that traditional process is incredibly carbon generative. Yeah. And there are some really clever things happening around really starting to slash carbon uh, emissions for some real big blue chip companies that, that make them, help them move in the right direction because ultimately... You know they, they've all signed up to the Paris Accords in terms of we're gonna we're gonna be, try and become carbon neutral. I think everyone's now motoring towards 
well, we've got to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's safe. And now we've got it. It's easier said than done. What, what's the most interesting project you've so seen, you reckon? The most interesting one we've seen at the moment is around um, the production of aluminium. Oh, so, yeah. Very energy-intensive process. Massively energy, and at the moment, hugely inefficient because everything's everything's kind of produced in one country, moved to another country for raw, right, okay. moved to another country for canning. We should say it's aluminum for, for, <laughs> for our northern heaven, uh, for my adopted home country. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's a, a very exciting project with, with a, the ethos behind that being actually to recycle rather than using the, the raw ore, which, you know, that yeah, that's very exciting when you see what the the carbon credits that come out of the, the back of the what, what do they recycle out of? Do they extract anything? Yeah, it's typically going to be um, cans, right? So it's, it's oh, okay, co- yeah. co- collect the can, <laughs> reuse the can. Um, but at the moment, there seems to be a real deficiency in recycling the, that material. Um, right. And, and actually, if you can aggregate enough of it together and recycle the same thing, you, you're going to be able to create the volume that you need there's some fascinating projects going on what the the um one that i saw which i thought was just such an obvious but clever idea was the uh storage and capture of emissions from ships it's shipping contributes i don't know some significant you know volume to co2 every year and uh there's plenty of room back there to to capture the emissions store them wait till they come into port it, do whatever they do and so you know like this this tiny little startups that are just you know um, i think it's out of i want to say it was out of the uk but uh, i'll have to look it up but um i genuinely believe i mean we've got a great name for this stuff but i genuinely believe that uh you know like say 10 years ago 20 years ago every company was a technology company in 10 20 years every company is going to be a green tech company yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I caught one just the other day in the press about the storage of, of energy. Um, it's a, a small startup out of, I think it was Finland, using sand, you know, literally think of a massive <laughs> silo, grain silo, just compact with sand that you can store heat at 500 degrees Celsius that you can then release and it, it stores for a long time. I mean, that's that's going to be the game changer is the, the battery and the storage. Yeah, this, this, as, as the... The size of the batteries comes down as as the kilowatt hour goes up. Exactly, exactly. And the the other, I mean, the industry is still, you know, Tesla's what, fifth, I want to say, fifteen years old or something this year, maybe a little bit more. But um, you know, the, there are some significant social and cultural issues regarding producing the raw materials for lithium, cobalt, etc. Where I live, there's the, actually the one of the founders of um, Tesla, JB Straubel, has a recycling company. It takes phones and pretty much anything that's got <laughs> these uh, battery in it, and they bring it all back to the original materials and ready to go again. It's yeah, it's... it's incredible the the just the technology that's going into it the smart people in the world <laughs> are doing incredible things the money yeah yeah i agree i think one of the other areas that i've i've got an eye on um that i think is going to 
progress very quickly it's, it's kind of medical healthcare. i mean oh, if, you, yeah. if you just look at what the world was able to achieve with regards to covid yeah uh, when when the mind and the focus is on one particular thing there's going to be some huge advancements in my mind with with kind of medical and we see that again in the uk we see a huge number of biotech kind of startups that are getting some real traction in particular areas that and ultimately, they're attracting the investment, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and the, the particularly, I mean, many world the world's Western populations is getting older. I can yeah. tell from Brexit that that's in the UK as well. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. The um, if you weren't uh, heading up uh, FLB, what 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 would Gary be doing? Oh, that is an interesting one. Well, the the dream as a kid was to be a professional golfer, but realised I definitely lacked the talent. Yeah. Um, so, well, you don't need any. You can play on the the L L I V tour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they're desperate for players, I can, I can definitely. There you uh, go. A quick seven fifty for you just to yeah, turn up. <laughs> I can hold up at that bottom of that leaderboard. Um, no, I think. I mean, I was in. So when I was a a, a bit younger, I was in sales. So I, I spent quite a lot of time selling double glazing of all things. So I think had I not gone down the accountancy route, I definitely would have gone down a sales route. Well, I think you are in sales. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. Maybe selling something different. Yeah, is yeah just not commission-based. <laughs> yeah. If I wasn't um, heading up Carbon, which I love and I enjoy, of course, I love my team and our customers, obviously. As you know, we live in a beautiful part of the, the world, that lake, uh, the last two summers, so as as you know, it's sort of surrounded by the Sierras, and the California fires caused the smoke just to sort of sit, like at six thousand feet, like a bowl that becomes, um, you know, come August, hopefully, touch wood, won't, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen this year. But um, uh, so I thought, you know, the, you know, the reason they can't get them early is often they just start in such remote places california is a big place you saw the one in new mexico that they the feds started accidentally but a lot of these you know like the those malibu fires just took off so quickly but you know this can't get to them and uh there's an academic in italy that came up with a way of of being able to get to remote fires and did all the 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 paper uh, the, the mathematics on getting drones <laughs> number of commercial drones with retardant into like remote areas and so the idea was you put the number was about 120 commercial drones with a volume of retardant i can't remember the number 100 liters or something into a fire based on you know these spreading conditions within like 30 or 32 minutes or so was able to put out you know 96 percent of fire something like this i thought fuck that's a good idea and um, the joy for me in that would be, A, the tech, like recharging, getting 100 drones in a, you know, one of those old military, I don't know, military plane or something, having them recharge with either water or retardant and recharge their battery while in midair yeah. <laughs> and controlling, you know, this whole operation, hopefully doing good for the world because f- fires contribute depending on how you measure it, they are the most contributory to CO2 emissions because if, if you measure it like the, li- the lingering um, release of, you know, CO2 out of the soil, once these old, you know, a lot of these old forests 
um, burn in in uncontrolled ways, uh, you know, is is the most significant contributor to emissions or CO two every year. And like you look at Australia a couple of years ago, just millions of acres. California, millions of acres last year. And uh, anyway, so there's there's <laughs> if I wasn't doing carbon, there you go. <laughs> No, that's uh, there's so many of these things, isn't there? Yeah. You just kind of read the papers and you go to you, you flip through the next one. And you think, wow, what a great idea that is! Yeah, and how revolutionary that's going to be. It's um, yeah, it's an it's an interesting time without it. I think um, you know, like it, it's it's an easy trend. You know, like you, you can imagine that the de- you know the VC deck, right? Like you, you get a hundred pages in, and you still wouldn't be past the you know the doomsday headlines. <laughs> <laughs> of the trend, you know. Yeah, definitely. There's so many. It must be tricky right now to be in that VC world. Yeah, pick, the, picking picking what to back. You know, you can just see it. You know, every day they're getting these thousands of things yeah. across their deck, and how do you pick the right ones? Pick them all. Yeah, <laughs> some of them. Some of them. That's their strategy, right? Like yeah, the Andreessen's of the world have got so much fucking money they can afford to. Yeah, pick them all. I don't know. I mean, like always, I guess they they back founders. Yeah, I think that's right. It's got to be the the individuals, right? And to a certain extent, of course, the concept helps. But. Yes, but, and also like the problem is so big, <laughs> and the the world is you know just heading for this such catastrophic state <laughs> that it's you know that you can back them all, and we we you know hopefully we're better off, but. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of high high technology things. I mean, what we've been discussing around kind of carbon offset drones, it's kind of huge, huge technological uh, kind of demands and some of those things. And and there's a little bit of, in my mind, the is still the the simple but disruptive are the ones that yeah. are going to win the day. Win the day, definitely. Yeah, there is a huge, you know, central point of convergence, right? Of of climate change and technology where people are always looking for technology to, to solve these issues. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's um, look at the, the solar panels, right? You, yeah, when yeah. When first came out, they're just these huge yeah. things where you've got... <laughs> they produce like a nine-volt battery with yeah, the power. Exactly, in a whole day. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> on, on, on your whole roof. <laughs> but you look at it now and then we're, we're doing some, some work at home and you start to look at it and you think, well, hang on a minute, they're now roof tiles. You can get yeah, yeah, the, that are just roof tiles. And yeah. then you, you, bug, yeah, you plug in your Tesla Powerwall so you can store some of it. And yeah, the, the technology is there, we know, but certainly not released in the UK. You know, you charge your car off of your, your solar. That's the dream. <laughs> and then actually you turn it on the other way so that when you need to power the lights at night, it's sucking off your car. Yes, it's, it's, yes, I saw that. You know, it's, it, it's going to be fun to watch, right? And driverless cars, that's the one I... I've got very young kids, and um, it does cross my mind as to my my eighteen month old. Is he ever going to actually drive a car? Yeah, you know, go for it. Will his first car have a steering wheel or yeah, not? Exactly, exactly. That's you know, certainly won't have a clutch. I can guarantee you that. that that's true. I mean, we, we've always been big on the the um, stick shift here in the UK. Yes, um, yeah, but, it, yeah. but it's it's definitely a dying thing. I don't think I could ever go back. Um, I watched Top Gear the 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 other night. I always been a fan and they 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 had a 1920s or something with a um and freddie wasn't great on the clutch but um 
I yeah, I I, I don't know if I'll ever drive a, a a car with a my first Amanda doesn't know how to drive a, a stick. There's not many people in the US that in of of the next generation that that would know. And the bizarre thing is, why would you? No. <laughs> I think when go back many moons ago, and you had these gearboxes that you you automatic. Kind of three seconds later, it changes gear. Yeah, but, yeah. But you look at some of the things now, like the Porsche, BMW. That, you know, these gearboxes are better than you could do it manually. Absolutely. Well, then with electric, there you don't need gears or diffs or. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. It's so uh, I went. My neighbour's got an electric car, and I remember the first time he took me out in it. It's terrifyingly fast and quiet. Yeah. And kind of the the what I left that experience with. Just the whole no noise is is um. It's quaint. It's a unique. It's yeah. new, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, it's very unique, and it's. I've always been a bit of a petrol head. Yeah. Um. So I've always liked the loud rumbling noises. There's something about that, right? Like yeah. taking off in it with a, with a mid-mounted, eight cylinders behind you. You know, like there's yeah. a lot. There's there's something in that. Definitely. And then you get in a car that you know. What's the Tesla played nor to sixty in one point nine nine seconds? Yeah. No, I, ca- I count them. Don't worry. And you just like, this, is, this is insane. It goes that fast. It doesn't make any noise. <laughs> it makes my kids sick. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna okay, I'm, I'm gonna flick it right back to chill mode when the kids are in the car. Yeah. Dad can have his fun by himself. <laughs> just leave, leave us out of it. They say. We and and my commute can be pretty windy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Thinking back to the, the, my time in Incline, it's uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> up and, yes. It's, that's exactly what it is. Up and over that hill, yeah, um, can get a bit uh, hairy in winter as well. Um, what's what's on for the rest of the year, Gary? You uh, plans for business, plans for the family, traveling at all? What's what's the idea? Um, so we're we're fresh back from uh, Greece, uh, which was a fantastic break. Booked pre-COVID, so it's the fourth attempt at oh, the same holiday, <laughs> uh, but we, we managed that. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of got on the plane, coming back, great, oh, wife's got COVID, so uh, oh. that's been a bit challenging, but so we've got, you know, try and get another break in this year, yeah. um, go somewhere and catch up on the three years of not really being able to travel. That's good. Got As I said, I've got three young kids, they kind of keep me very mobile and active. Then work-wise... I think it's we've got some really exciting opportunities in front of us and, and you know in the, the sectors that I've discussed it's kind of really starting to niche a little bit in terms yeah. of focusing to your earlier points in terms of you do the same thing on scale the margins are much greater um, growing the team kind of attracting the talent and um, you know just more of the same yeah um, keep, keep the hammer down the yeah. um, you're not seeing you know, too many economic headwinds in the sectors that you're working in, are you? No, we're, we're not. I mean, we're, when COVID hit, we're very fortunate. We weren't really in the hospitality sector yeah. at all, so that didn't hit us. Um, of course, we had some clients that were impacted. We've got in the travel sector. You know, I, I think I think there's some economic headwinds, um, but I think the industries that we're in should be relatively robust. And, and ultimately, you know, what happens my experience is the advice you give changes right so we've had a period of covid where actually yeah. we're giving this advice around budgeting and forecasting for things we're in a period now where actually the advice is save me some tax please because i'm making lots of money yeah good there you go <laughs> yeah exactly and then he's going to flip back the other way yeah to, with certain clients to say well make sure actually, you got some 
something on your balance sheet to yeah, to, to get through an extra period of, of downturn or whatever occurs. Yeah, definitely. And it's that, that age, age old adage in that kind of good businesses survive recessions and, and great businesses thrive. Yeah. You know, they just do. Yeah. No, we're, we're going through the same process, making sure we've got a couple of years of runway and, and uh, like like all well-run businesses, you just sort of, you know, make sure that you've got the resources to, to get done what you need to get done. Yeah, definitely. Gary, thank you for coming on the Accounting Leaders Podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.